Cairo, Seattle. It's time to get schooled with the professor, John Clayton. Welcome to Schooled with the Professor, and of course, one of the great parts about this season is I get to go back to Pittsburgh, see the Steeler team that I covered for so many years, get to see all the people that uh, I care about and like, and one of the guys is Charlie Batch, a former quarterback uh, with the Steelers. He's also got a company called Impelia that's doing analytics and studying stats and all those different things. I mean, he's from Homestead. I'm from Braddock, PA, uh, so we both, uh, all all I know is that uh, we're Homestead. You're a little bit on the hill uh, compared to where I was on Braddock. I always said that every time you flushed him a commode, uh, it came down to me. So at my house, so that's kind of the, the way it is. But Charlie, thanks for joining us on Schooled with the Professor. Not a problem. That just means we're just separated by a bridge. That's all. That's about it. Yeah. the Homestead, <laughs> yeah, homestead High Level Bridge. All right. So one of the reasons I wanted to chat with you is like I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out this Steeler team because I thought every report that I had in the preseason was uh, so good that Steve Nelson looked so good at corner, that the offense looked good, that James Washington was coming on, the offensive line looked good. And so what ends up happening? They end up losing by 30 points in Foxborough to New England. What do I have to read from that as far as what this Steeler team is? Well, I think it kind of caught a lot of people off guard in Pittsburgh because they didn't expect that. I was at training camp uh, 90% of the time um, up that way, and, and I didn't get a feeling coming out, of that, coming out of camp that this team would lay an egg to a certain degree heading up into New England. So I think when you look at the concerns that they have, obviously you're giving up 30 points, so you have to look – and pinpoint some of that on the defense. But offensively, they never gave the defense a break. They weren't able to convert on for third downs. They continued to put this team in a bad situation. And ultimately, uh, given Tom Brady those extra opportunities, he was able to provide and put 20 points at the half. And by that time, 20, being down 20 points to Brady, chances of, of coming back are slim to none. So I think the question here is going to be really what the receivers are going to do. Juju Smith-Schuster, he, uh, he put up some numbers, but they didn't come until the game was completely out of hand. But who is the number two receiver on this team? And right now they're still trying to figure that out. They were hoping that it was James Washington. They gave Dante Dante Moncrief uh, a chance and an opportunity in the game, and he dropped four passes. And so they're still trying to figure out who that guy could, that is going to be able to compliment Juju is. And if they can figure that question out, then it helps the helps thing moving forward. Well, what I wonder about is, is there a carryover from last year? Because everything I was hearing was so positive about how it was in the locker room. You know, no Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bell didn't show up last year. The trade was completed and all that. And everything seemed to be pretty well set as far as how the, the locker room is. And yet they come out and they just lay an egg. Yeah, and that's the toughest part. I mean, you know, they eliminated the noise, and, you know, you heard a lot of that talk. As the receiver, especially from the receiver position, eliminating a lot of that noise because of what was happening with Antonio. So it was really a calmer offseason here, a calmer training camp. But yet, questions were still being asked on this team. And even from people from the outside perspective, media was still asking about Antonio Brown, and they were just trying to figure it out and carve out their, their roles on this team. And unfortunately, those questions that were being asked are still being asked now because week one proved nothing at this point for this Steelers team. Exactly. How bad did it get with Antonio Brown as the season went last year and over the last couple of years? Uh, well, they've been able to kind of keep a lot of things, you know, under under the under wraps here because it wasn't impact what was going on on the field. And I think a lot of those things didn't necessarily happen until that week seventeen issue came up when this uh, when he didn't show up. Quite frankly, for the, the, the week 17 game, and, and it was tough because you heard some of the talk, 
during the course of the week, but everybody thought that Antonio was going to show up against the Bengals. And it just didn't happen. And, of course, that became a story by itself and ultimately led to him being released. So they were able to tame a lot of the issues that things were being um, talked about currently now. And you have to give credit to Mike Tomlin and Kevin Colbert here because they've been able to to really get him to that point of saying, okay, as long as you're producing on the field, we can eliminate and uh, uh, avoid some of those distractions, which they've been able to do. And quite frankly, Antonio moving with the Raiders and now up to New England, there are still being there are still issues being talked about now. Yeah. Now, what as the season ended? Because I mean, this team was you know nine six and one, and then just really faded down the stretch last year. What happened as the season concluded? Well, uh, well, I think. Number one, I think they got hot too soon, and they got hot at the midway point. Typically, you like to get hot at, at the you know, you know last four to six games as you get ready to head into the playoffs. This team got hot in October. In middle November, this team was sitting high. They have, uh, Mike Tomlin gave the, gave the entire team the entire bye week off, and they really were feeling good about themselves. And then ultimately, as they went down the stretch, they started to fade, and one thing was one thing led to another, and they just couldn't figure out how to bring it all back together and things just went in disarray. You know, they beat New England home, and then they lose that New Orleans game, and everybody's sitting there scratching their head. And for whatever reason, it could be special teams, the bad of a season that Chris Boswell had, going from the top of the league to the bottom of the league in production. Defensive side of the ball, not stopping and getting off the field on third down. So there were a lot of different things that uh, accumulated to what was going on around here. But when you miss the playoffs, now those things become a major issue because you now you have to get better heading into the new season, and right now the new season didn't start off the way that they were hoping. And you know how uh, Pittsburgh is, is that when things don't go right, the fans get uh, irate and mad. But, I mean, it even got to the point that uh, even, I don't know if it was one or two of the minority owners of the team was kind of pushing to see if they were going to change coaches with Mike Tomlin. And so, uh, and you know that wasn't going to happen. Art Rooney Jr. ended up giving him a contract extension. Uh, but uh, how much pressure, Where did how much of this fell last year on Mike Tomlin and his control of the locker room? Well, he he has control of the locker room because think about just the Antonio Brown situation. None of these stories got out unless it was Antonio recording Mike Tomlin and Facebook living those type of things. Um, you know, so that you know, so you have to credit him as it relates to keeping the, those distractions to a bare minimum. But also, whenever you don't win and don't get to the playoffs, that falls directly on Mike Tomlin, and he's embraced that. He's accepted that responsibility. You talked about the minority owners. There are rumblings about them potentially wanting out. But, again, they're minority owners. They're not here every day to see what's going on from the business of football with the Steelers. What happened, Art Rooney gave Mike Tomlin an extension. So that lets you know how confident Mr. Rooney feels in Mike Tomlin with him being here. Yeah, and that's I mean that's the thing. I mean he's had such a long string of success through the years, and uh, you know a, a blip in the scale and like that. You know you have to kind of overshoot, but uh, you know how does he now try to handle this to get this team to bounce back as the team gets ready for Sunday's game against Seattle? Yeah, and I, and I think when you look back, I mean if you just go back to the history of the Rooney family, they've never been ones to react. Um, you know, quickly, you know, regardless of what type of season they have, they go back and identify what those issues are. And if you ask the, the, the organ, people within the organization, they'll tell you it's because we didn't draft well in certain years. And, and when these guys are now supposed to be our pro bowlers, they're not here. On, they're no longer on this team. Those are the years that they, that they went to 8-8, eight 8-8, and, eight, eight and, eight and then missed the playoffs in both of those years. So now those are, you know, they'll always go back to identify some of those issues. You could take it all the way back to Bill Cowher. Bill Cowher is what, six and 10, seven and nine, missed the playoffs, but yet 
he lasted 15 years because they identified what the problem was. And ultimately, at the end of Bill Cowher's career, he brought home a Lombardi trophy in Super Bowl 40 with the win, ironically, as we talk against Seattle. So my years of being around this team, they're not going to make those rational decisions. They're going to go out here and they're going to believe. And that's why there's only been a few coaches over the last 30 years. I mean, the continuity is, is so important in this game, particularly if you have the good coach. And I, I believe Mike Tomlin's a very, very good coach. Now, what I'm also kind of wondering about is just the the, the way things have kind of shaped out uh, overall with this team. I, I thought they had a real good off season. Again, you know, it, it's not, you, you're not going to be as talented without uh, Le'Veon Bell and without uh, Antonio Brown. But what they were able to do is that uh, you know they were able to go out. They traded to get uh, Devin Bush, which I think is a good move. T.J. Watt was a Pro Bowler last year, so they were able to get good things on defense. And then, uh, despite the bad start, I thought it was a good signing on Dante Moncrief. I thought it was good getting Mark Barron uh, to come on defense. And so they they went a few more signings and more deals to try to get some things done. And I thought that that was the positive thing that I, you noticed in training camp. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think one of the things that really affected this team over the last year and a half was the loss of Ryan Shazier. Nobody expected him to go down with an injury, but yet that left a hole in the middle. That forced this team to make a move in the draft to, to bring Devin Bush in here to now quickly fix the problem. You just mentioned Mark Barron. They brought him in from the Rams. So they know that they have to get better in the passing game. They just now need to expedite what that learning curve is for Devin Bush because he has to be on the field. Does he have a, does he have a lot of talent? Absolutely. When you watch him, you're just like, wow, this guy has the, uh, the ability to be a Pro Bowl player for many, many years in this league, but yet he now falls into that learning co- curve. And it reminds me of a young Troy Polamalu here in 2003 as a first-round draft pick. There were times throughout the course of that year that Troy started to I, to doubt himself. He actually wanted to remove himself from the starting lineup because he really felt that, that he was doing more harm being on the field than he was on the field. And the coach said, no way, you're going to get through this piece. And ultimately that turned into a Hall of Fame career. This is early portion of where Devin Bush is at. They need to get him going and hopefully now being at home, Hopefully he gets the, 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 the helmet communicator that he's able to identify what the defense looks like, and he's able to stay on the field 90% of the time, if not all of the time. And if they can do that, that would help with that defense. But that is the potential piece that's missing. And when you talk about Antonio and Le'Veon Bell, yeah, they were great while they were here, but my question is what have they won when they've been here other than the division title? Nothing. So you have to move on at some point when you have those guys here, and that's why, that, that's why they allowed – Le'Veon to leave the locker room and traded Antonio Brown because you want to bring fresh faces, fresh bodies in here to see if now you can put a team together and they can gel and hopefully bring back another Lombardi trophy because those are the expectations here in Pittsburgh is to win the Super Bowl. Talent-wise, where would you stack this team up to teams in the last, say, eight or nine years? <sighs> it's kind of hard to tell because we're really early in this season, but I think when I look to see where this team is at, talent-wise, when you look at the roster, you're like, man, they have – the ability to do something special. My concern on this team is the depth. If somebody goes down, do they have the ability, outside of the offensive line, do they have the ability to now miss somebody in a a certain position? I don't know. Secondary here was a huge issue last year and over the past couple years. That's why they went out and got Steven Nelson from Kansas City. They wanted to now 
um, secure the back end of that because they really feel the pass rush for Stephon Tuitt, Cam Hayward can really get after the quarterback. You just mentioned T.J. Watt. They know he can get it, but they expect now Steven Nelson to be a, be part of that and hopefully Bud Dupree because now here he is trying to now figure out if he can if his career is going to continue in Pittsburgh, they picked up his option, but now they want to see him really raise the level of expectation. Yeah, it's no question it's a contractor. You mentioned the offensive line. It's a very talented offensive line, but one of the losses I thought was huge was Mike Munchak because I think he's one of the best in the game. And you've seen it through the years is that uh, sometimes if you hire the right offensive line coach uh, that first year, you may get more impact than a top free agent. Yeah, I agree with that. And Mike Munchak, he was fantastic around here. And, and, of course, when you bring the resume that Mike Munchak has, you've not only played the position, but you're a Hall of Famer. Right? The guys are going to listen, and they're going to listen right away. That's different. And that's not taking anything away from a lot of coaches who've never played, but not yet in, in leadership roles that they're, as they uh, now fill the coaching voids. There's something special about that. When you have Marquise Pouncey, Ramon Foster, David DeCastro, Al Villanueva, these guys all buying into that, guess what? It's going to trickle down into the rest of the room. That kind of rem- and So now when you move and lose somebody of a Mike Munchak's status, those veteran guys are still in the room, and you have a young guy that's now taking over the position. You know, it's going to take some time, but they're going to give him the same respect that they would give Mike Munchak as he's now building a rapport and now building what he wants to do in the room. It just reminds me of a young Randy Feekner. And Randy Feekner was a wide receiver, the offense coordinator for Steelers. He was the wide receivers coach here. And he was in that room, and they said, hey, okay, we lost um, a Ken Anderson at that time. He retired, and they wanted to bring Randy into the quarterback room. Even though he, was, he had a lot of ex- coaching experience, but yet he just didn't have it from the quarterback coaching position. And with myself, Byron Leftwich, Ben Roethlisberger in the room, it allowed him to grow into that position. And then here you are now, seven, eight years later, he's now the offensive coordinator of this, this Steelers team. So, you know, they allow those type of things to happen, but you have to have a good group, good group of veterans in the room to let that switch happen. I have really, for the last several years, have ranked uh, Ben Roethlisberger as the third best quarterback in the league, and I still haven't changed that opinion. Now I'm seeing more criticism there of Ben, even though he got the $34 million extension. You know, Deion Sanders of the NFL Network coming out and saying he didn't think he's going to make it through the season because of what he saw in the Patriot game. Where do you sum up where Ben is? You've been in a room with him. How good is he and how good is he right now? Yeah, I mean, he's a solid player and I've been talking about Ben for a long time. I've spent my 11 seasons here in Pittsburgh and nine of them was with Ben. And I've been saying for a long time that Ben Roethlisberger is, he is a heck of a talent. And it took people from the outside world a long time to figure that out because they just thought he was playing backyard football, running around making plays. But this guy studies. He worked hard in that film room to now get to the point of, of, of respect. And it, it took people from the outside world. And when Ben, it took people and probably four years ago, Ben threw for 4,900 yards. And once he threw for 4,900 yards, everybody was saying, wow, this guy actually can throw the football. And that's when he started getting the respect from from people outside of Pittsburgh. And, of course, now, or at least last year, he threw for 5,100 yards. Those things just don't happen by accident. So to, to credit, to put, to give him that credit, he put in that work to continue to build the playbook, continue to build it up to the levels that now this offense evolves around here. He deserves a ton of credit for that. And when I, you ask me where I rank him, I'm right there with you. Yeah. I mean, I, for me, I put, yeah. him, I put him ahead of Aaron Rodgers because people look back and, you know, it depends on what they're – valuing what they're you know how do they value the position what are they ranking them on 
and everybody's quick to put Aaron Rodgers or Drew Brees up there, and, and but they yet they'll counter by saying, well, it's about championships. Well, Ben been to three Super Bowls. He won two of them, and he's been doing it at a high level for a very long time, but yet he's underneath those guys. And that's not taking anything around from away from those other quarterbacks. This guy can get it done. And he's quietly now approaching 60,000 yards in his career. I'm like, wow. So at what point, what am I missing here? So I'm kind of baffled. I'm kind of like you. I have him ranked high, but I'm baffled why some people have him ranked lower. Yeah. Uh, when With Impalia, your analytics company, uh, what, how did you evaluate? What kind of things did you come up with in the first game in New England? Well, we didn't necessarily do – we don't take it from that approach as it relates to what happens in-game. What we try to do um, with our data, data analytics company is tell people that are in positions as it relates to what they're looking for with the data. And if you, if you, don't, if you know a little bit about it, during the course of the week, most NFL teams, they use Catapult. But yet on Sundays, they use Zebra technology. A lot of them don't integrate with each other. So the, the, the hardware devices that these guys are using – they, it's hard to get a comparison of how the practice week versus the game is and how do you marry those two. We actually help people marry those two, figure out what you're looking for and what's important for you in the data, and we actually can give you a readout of what, what you're looking for. So we've been able to, to do a lot of that uh, without. So, of course, we have to wait until some of that data uh, comes out, and then, of course, our team um, goes through, they analyze it, and then from there they'll, they'll have readouts um, to those particular teams. Okay, so uh, I'm looking forward to getting back to see you. Of course, you're going to be doing the pregame, the postgame. You're on KDKA, and, of course, uh, always great to catch up with Charlie Batch. Thanks for joining us on Schooled with a Professor. Not a problem. And if anybody wants to know or follow what I'm doing throughout the year, they can go to charliebatch.com. Okay, that's charliebatch.com. Charlie, thank you so much. And that does it for this week's podcast. In between episodes, you can follow me on Twitter at Clayton ESPN. If you enjoy these weekly one-on-one conversations, consider leaving a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to the show. Thanks for listening. See you next time on Schooled with a Professor.